Under the Helmet. You do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. Tell you, man, you leading the league in hydration. I got a dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet, looking at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons. Got Katie Flower here, the official podcast of UTHDynasty.com. Bit off a big subject today and for this week. It is talking about competitive windows. What if your window is closing? What if you have a team that, whether you drafted it, took over an orphan, you say, it is time to re-sculpt and maybe extend when we expect to contend? Uh, so many things go into this about timelines, about your roster, and if you're going to end up pushing your chips into a different zone that may not include this year, uh, whether that's from the outset of your draft or mainly uh, the lens here is going to be existing teams in some capacity. But I wanted to start out, Katie, by asking you, do you have any personal experience and specifically how I'm going to frame it is a team that you drafted and at some point along the way in its timeline, did you decide I am going to, and this is not, you know, making little tweaks here and there. It's not based on a one trade sort of thing, but say I'm re-sculpting my team. I am not, you know, I, I'm not where I am. I wanted to be. I'm middle of the pack, let's say, and I am looking to shift things into the future with picks, with younger players, just in general as sort of a, a theme for an off season or a six to 12 month period. Not from a team that I have drafted, but certainly from an orphan team that I've taken over. I've been in that scenario several times. And I, I do that sometimes just as a challenge because it's fun to break down a team, find out what the trade market is, wheel and deal, try to get the best that you can to get that rebuild just as fast as you can. But in, in startup drafts, I've been drafting the UTH way since 2014. And so I find my teams balanced enough to where use my older guys that I've had on my roster for a while as my bridge guys, as I'm continuing to draft, even though you're drafting in the 10, 11, 12 spot, you can still get a lot of talent. Just don't get stuck in the rut of always trading your future picks when you're contending. And then you still have that steady stream of young talent coming in. It doesn't have to be the one-on-one to hit on a player. Uh, one of the first thoughts I wanted to share, and this is from a, a pretty good discussion over in the Football Guys Shark Pool uh, message boards, and it, it kind of aligns with, I think, the way both of us generally think about teams, which is I'm pretty much always in competition mode with an eye towards the future where it's one eye or one and a half eyes is on, well, where do we stand now? Where do we stand this season? And then always you're kind of thinking with trades. You're always thinking to some capacity with how does my team kind of look into the future? Not that Y plus one, Y plus two, Y plus three is as important or more important or whatever, but you're always kind of looking at 
what is my cupboard look like? What is my sort of, even if there's not a taxi, what does my farm system and taxi kind of look like? That might be three or four players. It might be seven or eight, depending on the depth of your team or you know the, the depth of roster and format. But I'm always kind of looking at that as if you're being two GMs. The first GM is I'm looking at my lineup. I'm looking at my team for this year. How does it look? And then the other part is you you have another GM and it's again, it's like a, a split personality here. The other part you're focusing on is, you know, the livelihood of your team so that you don't get in a situation where you're like, I finished 500. I barely made the playoffs or just missed. And I really feel like my window is closing and now it's time to rip it down to the bones of this team. And I think when you are constantly looking, and I know it's a little more attention here, when you're looking from both ends with all of your moves or with different cross sections of your, your roster, I don't think with your teams that you've drafted and constructed outside of orphan situations, I don't really know if you ever truly get into that situation. If it's constantly getting attention to have a Katie reference, like a garden, you know, something that is very agricultural because it requires regular maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. I I've got a contending team. I just got a trade off for about 45 minutes ago. And I'm pretty loaded everywhere. It's a, it's a team. It's a league that started off as start one quarterback, but after about three or four years and a two year transition, we made it into super flex. So this will be the first year as super flex and I'm pretty well-rounded everywhere. I was offered Robert Woods for my Jerry Judy in the trade calculator as a contender the slight edge, slight edge is to Robert Woods. He's like 10.2 in the trade calculator and Jerry Judy is like 9.8. But the thing is, I've got Devontae Adams, I've got Mike Evans, I've got DeAndre Hopkins, I've got Will Fuller and T.Y. Hilton. So I don't feel that I need Robert Woods and I'd rather have Jerry Judy keep that young on the back part of my roster. Whether I even start Judy this year, it doesn't matter. And I should still have a good two to three window, two to three year window out of most of those receivers I just mentioned, unless something goes crazy and they all go bonkers. But the fact is, or the point is, I've already got that young player that I think will be a stud. His quarterback is big question mark right now, but I don't need him to produce this year. And I'd I think that as much as I like Robert Woods in a different scenario, I might do something like that, but not in this scenario. So you, you kind of have to keep that one foot in the youth, one foot in the contending, you know, like I said, super bridge players, guys that have been on my roster pretty much from when I drafted them or maybe made some minor trades to, to get to where I am right now. But I don't think that I need to make major moves with this team. And that would be in my mind, a major move with, more of a conceivable loss for me down the road than a win for me right now. Yeah. And I think what you outlined is a, a really good point for contending teams to stave off some cliff that you do have older players. And while they still have, have good windows, the wide receivers you outlined, some might be listening to that and say, ah, oh, you know, those are guys that are on a little shorter term. And then 
But again, and it doesn't take, you have to have four of these guys, but you mentioned Jerry Judy that, you know, if you have one, maybe two guys where you say they're developing their year one, their year two, they have pedigree. They, they have upside scenarios over the next couple of seasons to kind of get on that track and maybe be a player like one of the guys that could be uh, eroding down a little bit by that point in time for your team and sort of pick up the slack and sort of pass the ball in a basketball analogy. It's, you know, I was the stud, but now I'm an ancillary guy. And now you're the stud, you know, that could be a Brandon Ayuk that could be, you know, younger players like that, but it doesn't take, I think a lot of times people think that you need to have most of your roster like that. And I think that becomes a danger. We've talked about it, you know, getting addicted to Debbie or addicted to rookies and other shows and other conversations. But when you have a team that you think could be contending, it's a slippery slope of thinking you have to have too many guys too young because it could mean they're not yet peaking in their developmental curve. They also might never get there. We may like them as players, but they may top out, you know, in that, you know, wide receiver 25, 35, you know, running back 18 to whatever. Like they may never ever get all the way there. Whereas, you know, if you have two or three, you know, really strong veterans ahead of them on the depth chart, there's less pressure. But yet, if you have all veterans, you know, if you didn't have Judy, if you didn't have any other younger players, or if you did this trade and Robert Woods is, and not, you know, it's not that, you know, he might be a top 12 guy this year in PPR. Who knows? But he may not help you very much. And he's sort of the same as what you already have is kind of the thing you're saying. Like, you know, is he really that much of a difference? And I'm taking on so many different years and he serves a different function on my team. So that's really, I think sometimes when people start finishing around 500, maybe they just missed the playoffs, don't win the title, whatever that threshold is. And now they look at their team and they go, you know, maybe I had one guy retire. I had one guy coming off, you know, maybe a Michael Thomas style, like, oh, I thought they were a stud, but now they were hurt and they really didn't help me this year. Their value is shot. And, and then they're looking at this saying, I need to completely deconstruct this team because I couldn't do it last year and I'm only older now. So so I, I think that's that's the slippery slope that mentally you don't want to get into that situation where you feel like, I, I, maybe I cashed in my first round pick. I don't have the capital to really get that young influx. Now I've got to make multiple trades to get the young influx. And the only way I can is by trading the veterans I previously was leaning on. That to me is sort of the, the danger scenario that you want to avoid by being proactive. Absolutely. And like I said, the back half of a lot of rookie first rounds whether it's super flex or not, there's always a gem or two. And it, it's a matter of just, you don't have to necessarily scout for yourself, but find someone's rankings. Like I've always found the UTH rankings to be pretty spot on. And if you follow the UTH rankings and you pick up a T Higgins at 112 or a Brandon Ayuk at 112, somebody in that range that's just going to keep, you're eventually going to hit on one of them. You know, if, if you hit on one every three years and you're a contender and you still have that two to three year window from your veterans, just be patient. You don't have to trade your future away just to stay stacked with veterans. You want that influx of the younger guys coming in. And if you hit on them 
and they're overhyped, then you can trade them for a boatload, including some additional future picks that may turn into somebody else's 101, and then you're even more golden. Yeah, and I, I think it's important, you know, if you think you're always stuck in the back of the round, which again is a good thing. That means you're making the playoffs. That means you're making some deep runs. You might be winning some titles. That that still doesn't preclude you from adding, say, as you mentioned, like a T. Higgins or a round one wide receiver that could be that supplementation, that balance that you're looking for. That still could mean a day two running back that has a good profile that you like. It also means you're sitting there at 111 and Every once in a while in that position, if you say, hey, it's not a great year. I don't have a, a great player that I want to target here. Let me trade for a future first. That is my opportunity to hand select a team likely to finish lower in the standings than I will. That I'm in a different mode. Let's get someone that wants to take a pick now. I'm going to use the value of time. And that that is sometimes is your best vehicle as a contending team, a trade like that, where maybe you get a you know a third rounder this year and a future first from a team that looks non-playoff. And all of a sudden, you now have a chance and a better chance than your contending team by looking at their roster and evaluating things to maybe get a top two or three pick. That's the way you get that is you have to go into the future. You as a contending team buying outright 101 in a given rookie class is probably going to cost you contending pieces that you're not super happy about giving. You know, And frankly, the alignment there is the team with the high pick naturally needs that younger player, needs that shot on a cornerstone player. And and you, frankly, have the benefit of already having a, a strong roster and a strong lineup that can contend without taking chances like that on a player that may or may not be lined up viable for the first year or two to, to much of a degree. Um, let me, uh, talking about contending windows, and I'll kind of mix these in as we go through the show, um, some quotes here about this exact topic. So one of the quotes here is, I'm never in uh, compet- competing mode or rebuilding mode at the same time. It's all or none. You know, I'm either uh, building something dominant or I, I gauge the, the the window where I'm, I think I'm going to be in the money. And then at the end, tear it all down and start all over, all over again. It says that's worked for me. And I used to, I don't know about you, Katie, five to 10 years ago in Dynasty, I used to hear these th- kind of things all the time. People would talk about building up some team. And then you have this two or three run year run where you pretty much have your existing players. You're not making a lot of moves. And then it ages out, whether that's with running backs expiring, same thing with wide receivers, whatever. And then you're pretty much just just, uh, just scrapping the whole thing. You're going to probably have naturally high picks of your own for maybe two or three years, and you rebuild it again. I used to hear that tale a lot uh, years ago. I don't really anymore. Um, and I don't see people honestly do that. I see people leave, to be fair. I see people leave the league in a middling setting. And then the new owner, as you said, would come in and re-sculpt it as an orphan situation. But I don't see a lot of existing teams like embracing this natural wave and cycling of, all right, I'm contending, I'm building up my team. It's getting older. I'm keeping all these guys. And then, and then eventually I just choose to tear it down and let's start it all over again. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times, but my quote is ABC, always be contending. And the best way to do that is with the balance and the, and the minor maintaining the smaller moves rather than trying to make a big, gigantic move. And you may have one season where you get a lot of injuries and 
you're, you have a contending roster, but you end up with a 103 because of all the injuries or something, that just helps you even get better with what you've got. It doesn't mean panic sell the, the players that you have just because now they're going to be a year older, uh, but you may want to sell off one of your older guys for some of the blue chip younger guys, but you don't need to sell off three or four or five and break it down completely. I don't, I don't think so. Anyway, if you've been paying attention to your roster and looking at the trends, selling players when they're on hype rather than the ones that you believe in. Uh, Like I remember when Tajay Sharp, I got him for a third round. And as soon as he started getting hype, I flipped him for a first And sometimes you make a mistake. Sometimes those guys do end up, but it's so rare. You have to, again, just try your best to get the best value when you can and just small changes maintain. Yeah. I I, I think one thing you mentioned, which is, you know, the having the veterans and then selling the veterans and getting picks. The problem I see is a lot of people do it at the exact wrong times of the year. They choose in March through May or June, you know, around around rookie pick time when they're at their hottest veterans are at their lowest and least appealing. You know, a lot of people around the NFL draft aren't talking veterans. You know, it's all about the rookies, the landing spots, my rookie draft, the hype that everyone's going to be great. And and then you're you're going into that selling the opposite asset and trying to get the most you can. And I kind so one facet I kind of understand which is you want to start rebuilding and so I need picks that I'm actually making with for the rookies now. Okay, I understand that part, but you're also reversing the marketplace because when are these veterans the most valuable? August through December. You know, until your trade deadline, uh, maybe there's certain select players that get hot around NFL free agency if they're moving, if they get a great landing spot. Some running back all of a sudden is the starter, but usually it's in season lineup setting time. The team's looking to make a push. That's your moment to sell and and honestly to resculpt your team in season. I I think is more effective. Because if you're sitting there and you've got some contending pieces, that's when you can get picks. That's when picks are more readily available than in the draft itself when everybody is, is looking at future Hall of Famers and they're super excited about adding these rookies. And so you need to sell production. But the problem is, if you have these veterans, you might be in the middle and you're actually close to the playoffs. You're right there. You know, maybe if you hit on a backup running back or, you know, a hot, hot starter stretch of the season by a certain player, you're in. And, and, and I almost think that that of like, okay, I'm in the mix. I might contend. Let's see how this next two or three weeks goes of like, I'm not a dominant team and I don't suck. I'm in the middle. I think that scares a lot of people of saying like, oh, what if I just missed the playoffs? Getting the 105, 106 pick is like the worst thing in your league. It means you just missed the playoffs. That's not a bad scenario. You have a good team. Maybe you just had a down season, as you mentioned a few minutes ago. Yeah. And the other thing about the maintaining and making incremental moves to improve your team, uh, it, it goes to the same point. You, you say this a lot when it comes to right before the playoffs, you've got to decide, are you going to make the playoffs or are you going to miss the playoffs? And if you are going to make the playoffs, 
Do you have the team that can make a deep enough run? Do you have injuries that have now made it so that you're going in hobbling or are you cooking with full steam and you just need one player at one position to kind of push you over the edge? Always make a dynasty trade, no matter what the situation. You don't want to sell off all your pieces if you're not going to make the playoffs and then just go for that total rebuild. You don't want to strip the Band-Aid off like that. And same thing if you are a contender, but you're missing a piece or two because of injury, you don't want to push all your chips in and trade off all your young players that you just drafted uh, who may be guys that you believe in that just had a slow start, but that's what rookies do. So again, it's all about balance and not over at any time of the year, whether it's during the rookie draft or right before the playoffs, you don't want to overcorrect or, uh, go all chips in because you can totally dismantle your team and then end up with no assets and have to have to strip it down. Yeah. Another quote here. And I think this is applicable. You know, you think you're just going to get all these rookie picks and everything will end up being fine. You know, two, three years later Uh, for me, the problem with Armageddon style, (laughs) which I guess is like burning it to the ground uh, is you still need to hit on the hit on the draft picks. You know, I think, and I think that's sketchy, which is correct. And that's why I mentioned, you know, if you draft well, whether that's a startup draft, redraft, rookie draft, uh, that cures a lot of ills. Like you can have, you know, bad process, great process, but ultimately you got to hit on the players, right? I mean, we always talk about what position and all this stuff. It comes down to players. And so you can do a rebuild pretty easy, you know, if you hit on if you hit on most of your picks. The problem is if you start whiffing, then your your rebuild becomes a massive underwater uh, environment that you're just trying to breathe. You know, and and the other part um, that I would mention this one um, after I went scorched earth for the first time, it felt really weird as I, I went uh, one in 12, you know, and so a lot of people, the mental part, right, of I, I know I'm going into this year, I'm likely 101, and just sitting through that, sitting in the muck. It's almost like, all right. I'm in the rain, I'm cold, I'm miserable, no umbrella. And you know what? You got to sit there and submit your lineup every week. And and you know you're stinking, but you got to look at the greater good, right? I mean, you got to look at, I knew this going in. I knew I, at best I was going to win four or five games maybe. And let's let's optimize this by saying, I let's shift. When I have players that are hitting instead of stream starting them, I'm just going to flip them for picks. I, I'm doing everything I can, buying injured players, whatever it is. But you've got to mentally be okay. And this is why having multiple dynasty teams is is sort of the method for this, that you you can't sit there and and have a huge problem with finishing dead last because it, 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 that might be your best move for that particular season, but it is a mental hurdle to get over. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I go into a startup, I'm building my core and the, the least impactful season is year one. And if you can go in with that mindset and then build that core, make good moves, make good trades, maximize on your rookie values. You're not going to hit on all your rookies. Absolutely not. But just take the best shot you can each time. And the other part about, we, we say this all the time, take the best player available, take the best player available. Don't look at position, trade for what you need, 
but take best player available, even if they're your eighth running back or your 15th wide receiver, whatever, or trade. If you can't trade, then stick and pick best player available. If you're a contender and the guy in front of you or, you know, two guys in front of you takes Michael Carter, for example, some running back that they have to have because they need a running back and that lets a different player fall to you, whether you take that player or not, or whether you trade that for that future pick plus something else, and then that future pick turns into the 103 or 101 or 10 whatever, you've given a contender that opportunity to make that move because you didn't take the best player available and you let them slide. And so many people make that mistake in rookie drafts. I'm in a bunch of leagues where there's really good veteran owners and they still make that mistake. So that's just another thing about the whole picture. Stay balanced. Another quote here. I also only look at two-year windows because so many things change uh, to plan for anything longer uh, than that. And the idea of a rebuild never really became a thing for me. It has worked uh, that I usually obtain aging veterans uh, with stuff left in the tank from teams that are always playing for next year. And that's true. You know, you get a cross section that could be two teams, that could be four teams. But the point is, you get to October, November, uh, some of the dog days for these teams that are turning the page for the following year, and you get deals. If you're open to selling picks just in general, it doesn't always have to be your first round pick or just players that you have drafted, younger variety, anything that offers promise that isn't a 29-year-old wide receiver or 27-year-old running back or, you know, that so so they're talking about exploiting these teams that you can find discount production and when you're making it from a dynasty lens of saying it doesn't necessarily have to be a four-week, eight-week rental. This can be a player. I mean, last year, if you acquired Adam Thielen or Julio Jones as a contending, trying to win my league this year move, it's not that we're getting to week one this year and they have no value. I mean, they are still vibrant parts of likely a contending team's lineup. Maybe not your wide receiver one, but someone that's mixed into the top three or four spots for you. And that's when you take a guy like Denzel Mims, who was getting all kinds of hype and you may not believe in him long-term and you trade him and maybe a third to get an Adam Thielen or a Julio Jones. I love that quote. That's a great quote. And that's absolutely, these are bridge and super bridge players. You're always looking to get that discount the right time of year. And that just helps you keep your contending team with strength and depth guys that, somebody else doesn't want, they're just going to throw away or give you a, a very good discount on. You always want to be on the lookout for that kind of deal. Absolutely. Uh, we got a UTH subscriber and super fan here that uh, we've got a few of them. That's from Derek who submitted his team. And I, I remember this time frame in Dynasty specifically. This was back you know, 2012 to 2014. And that was a glory time, to be fair, if you were doing the productive struggle, you know, that 2014 wide receiver class coming in. Um, and he mentioned, you know, just being middle of the road after the first year, but he rolled bad snake eyes with Josh Gordon. Uh, Trent Richardson was on his team and he ended up stinking, you know, just over and over 
those years getting picks. And he mentions going all the way. I traded everything I could that had value for picks and committing to the process of selecting the best players, uh, the best rookies I can, and basically leveraging the rookie pick marketplace in your league. And that's really where you have to live. And honestly, uh, you know, whether that's a, a Devi environment, we've talked about that before, or living in the rookie environment, that really is an equalizer. And I've seen plenty of teams that are like, oh, like they have their regular allotment of picks, but they have a benefit. And so this is one thing I'll mention that they, they have a benefit over contending teams in this capacity. They can pretty much do the YOLO route, which is like, you know, you only live once and you can be very brandish and, and, uh, and vibrant with the risks that you take. They can take a lot of big risks because the downside is I stink now and I'm going to stink you know, even if I miss on some of this stuff, but they can take the leverage of a lot of picks, a lot of chances, and they can allocate a large portion of their roster spots to those picks on an annual basis and trade back and go to zones and because they don't really have a big core. They're building their core, whereas a contending team, you really preserve and, and wrap your arms around that core because that's what's paying the bills for you every single year. That's what's getting you to the playoffs. Those six to 10 players that are a variety of ages, but those are the guys that you're plugging and playing all these weeks. Yep. That's another good quote. I like that. Um, all right. So thanks, Derek, for that contribution. I got another one here from uh, from Brian. And he, he submitted, he made a ton of trades in this league. And this was in the 2017, 2018 kind of zone. And one of the themes was, I was looking over all these deals, was he took shots on pedigree. Um, one of the big moves he made was trading DeAndre Hopkins in his prime. And this is back then for guys that are year one or year two players. For guys like, he, he traded for Joe Mixon, Juju Schuster, a first and a second which at the time, again, was a, I think, incoming rookie, Juju Smith-Schuster, probably incoming rookie, Joe Mixon, a future first and second. And that's for a, in his prime, DeAndre Hopkins. But he got three chances, maybe four chances, if you include the second. And to varying degrees, again, Juju Smith-Schuster was on a historic track. We you know, kind of wonder where he, what direction he's pointing now. But the point is you need to get a lot of shots. If you are going to trade a proven unequivocal top 10, top 20 type player stud at their position, you need to get quality cracks. And again, Joe Mixon was a top rookie pick. Juju Schuster, top 1% of the model guy, even though he was day two, another first and second. And then the other thing I saw he made so many deals that seem in non you know non important where he was dealing like flip player for a second flip player for a third uh you know a player that has a little bit of juice and and a pick to get an upgrade like he did this like a serial trader which is something that you know that that's like my move is kind of working on the margins the players that especially when you have shallow and medium depth rosters knowing that they are closer to that roster fringe and closer to the waiver wire than the deep leagues where you can just stash everybody so i think those are really important points that the allegiance factor to guys that you don't think are core level but yet they have attractive short-term oscillations for other teams. And the other thing is the select one, two, three players like DeAndre Hopkins, they ended up selling Robert Woods a few years ago as part of this. They sold Michael Thomas as part of this, that you need to extract 
a lot of pieces and give yourself a lot of cracks, but not just any. You need to also have them high profile bets and really take those th- that outside their top five to 10 players on that contending team. You need to have your hand selected pick of those high profiled guys otherwise. Those are, there's so many great points in that, a lot to unpack, but I absolutely 100% agree with if you're going to sell a stud in their prime, especially a wide receiver, because they have the connotation of lasting a lot longer than a stud running back would. But it doesn't matter. If you're selling a stud, you want multiple shots. And I like that he got two players in the deal and then also two picks in the deal rather than four picks, unless you get like a 101 and then plus a couple of other quality firsts. Um, then, and especially if it, you're close to the draft and you know who that 101 is, not all 101s hit, but you still have a pretty good feeling for the profile and where they were drafted in the NFL and what team that they're on and that kind of stuff. But getting at least a couple of Good young shots plus a couple of decent picks is a great way to turn a stud into those multiple pieces or multiple trade pieces. Cascading trades tend to work very well when you're and and turn around a team and make it go from contender to rebuild to back to contender as quick as possible. That was from Brian, and uh, this one's from Steven, a good friend of the show here, and he mentions this was a Devi format, and again, getting a bunch of Devi picks, a lot of times you can exploit that even more than the rookie picks in a in a traditional Dynasty League in that you can get those late Devi picks, and they can have big upside and big value, whereas you know if you're making these moves for third and fourth round rookie picks, it's, it's going to be a lot uh, more difficult to get guys that anything but flip players, let's say, you know, from that range that you can hopefully leverage for first and seconds and, and young players with better profiles in the future. He mentions that he basically had, you know, limited number of picks and a bunch of old guys. His notable player was Devontae Adams at that point, but it was surrounded by guys like Brady and Big Ben and David Johnson. He did have some notable uh, Debbie players in the pipeline, but didn't have a whole lot to work with. So what he started doing was again taking advantage of it in terms of the Devi selections and I, I've seen that a number of times when you start to really uh, let me get better and improve get some quality advice uh, you know Katie's a great resource for Devi uh, and, and optimizing the process of making picks because there's a lot of leverage to be had you know that the Josh Jacobs story is is a classic one that we'll probably reference for years and that he was a late Devi pick if at all you know the year before he really rose up late in that Alabama year uh, ended up being a part of that I, I don't know if it was a title run but I know they were it was through the college football playoff so really becoming a national entity and then he gets to the draft process becomes a first round pick and now he's two years into a you know two top 20 seasons into a productive career so far and and coming from the Devi ether the Devi pennies on the dollar you know penny stocks basically in terms of that so so Devi and one of Steven's points was just if you dig into Devi in that format even if there's a you know a moderate and he mentions this 20 to 30 for the league you can still leverage that by getting more Devi picks and Devi players from other teams and it opens up a new window to rebuild and re-sculpt your team for the future 
I'm an eternal optimist and I am always, the glass is, is half full instead of half empty. My taxi squad is always full. And I have found through the years, the easiest way to exploit others is to take their third and fourth and fifth and sixth round Debbie picks that they're going to throw into a deal, get them to always throw in even a couple. And as I've mentioned a million times, if not a million and one, Steph Curry, you can hit from anywhere. It doesn't matter how deep the draft is. You can hit Debbie from anywhere, especially if you do some scouting or you take somebody else's rankings and just put eyes on their, on their film just to see, do they have the it feeling? Do they feel like a, a player that, that you are interested in that you like? And my only caveat is, when you're selling studs, don't just sell them only for Debbie picks. Make sure that there's that key young player or two and then plus. And just, again, stockpile those Debbie picks. You can, even if you don't end up using them all, you can use them in, in a trade and certainly move up and, and get the guys that you're looking for. Yeah. One other point of caution about, you know, all the positives you said, which is, man, if it's a combo draft, getting things that are inside of a Debbie line uh, is really important. Being proactive with where the line is going to be in the future is an important point. Or if it's just, you know, hey, take all the Debbie you want. Here's how many rounds the draft is that those last picks and the process you should be using is I'm looking for future first rounders, right? I mean, I'm looking for first round rookie pick type players if they were a part of the draft process when we get there. And that can come from how you're profiling your final Debbie picks as well. So the one thing that I see a big stumbling block for folks is when, okay, I got this four, it's a four round draft for Debbie only, or you can take Debbie whenever, whatever. So you're sitting there at like 406. And you're like, okay, so yes, the obvious names are gone, let's say. But if you're looking at this correctly, you should really be looking for profiles that you say, this could be a first round pick in this format, in this league next year. And going through the process of selecting your small subset of consideration players and who you ultimately take from that with that lens. And the problem I see is people look at it like rookie rookie picks where they go, oh, I'll give you a future third for 404. And that's sort of how the marketplace kind of works for traditional leagues with rookie picks. But in Devi, there's a wider variance. You see guys come from the later rounds. And honestly, I need more of a premium than that. You shouldn't just be throwing your pick and saying, oh, well, next year I'm going to get 306. So that's going to be better than 404. No, they're both kind of really similar in the fact that you're shooting for a future first rounder out of that valuation because we know there's going to be guys undrafted that are worth a first rounder or a high one in that regard. So it happens all the time. It's about doing your best and giving your best your, yourself the best profile to have a shot to get those types of players, but merely shifting a one round bump into the future like that from a late, a late selection is very suboptimal. And yet I see in every Debbie league I'm in somebody do something like that annually. Yeah. I just saw that happen yesterday in a draft that I'm in where it's rookie Debbie and free agent combined. And the guy <laughs> there, there were wild cards 
that you could use, or you could use your own Debbie. But until the wild cards are gone, there's no sense using your own Debbie placeholder. There was only one wild card left, and the guy traded back. Uh, the guy who had the pick didn't want to take a Debbie, but the guy moving up moved up two spots, and all they had to do was give up a fourth round pick. So the guy's going to take a rookie. The other guy gets his Debbie. It's like you just basically gave him away for free. Here's an example to illustrate, though, what you just said. I was in, uh, it was the 36th overall Debbie pick in a startup, and I had opportunity to make that pick. I wanted to shop the pick first to see if anybody else was more interested in the Debbie pick. It's a super flex, and my target was Keaton Slovis. I think that he could absolutely, he's had already two, one good year and one okay year. His stats are, are pretty good though. And he could end up being a first round NFL draft pick next year, which would make him a first round rookie pick next year. So going in with that's who my target is, I asked for the guy, he was only moving up like 10 spots in the startup but I asked for his first, he offered me his third to move up the 10 spots. And I said, no, but I'll trade you for your first. And he was like, no, I can't do that. And I'm thinking even that would have been cheap. If Slovis does go, then even, even that first round pick wouldn't make up the margin. Now, depending on who else I got for the, for the uh, player in the startup, it might make up the difference, but I wasn't going to give up that pick cheaply even though it was the 36th overall Debbie and the last Debbie that could be taken because I knew the value of hitting on that pick. Yeah. And again, that leverage, um, and we're talking Debbie, which I know is not, you know, a 50% share of, uh, of the dynasty marketplace, but it's an extreme example of what we talk about in, in rookie land as well, which is, you know, the example there is you mentioned, you know, if it's a Michael Carter or whatever, even if it's not a player you're selecting, knowing who the best player available or the consensus best player available, if someone were to trade into that spot, who who does that indicate? What is the value there? And and trading for the value, and that that's one common point you've said all the time, Katie. Which is, you know, if if a player that you know is valued like one hundred two is there at one hundred five, I mean, you're basically trading one hundred two. And I know the number one hundred five is there, but you've got to go into the marketplace with the mentality of I need to extract value that is requisite for 102 because that's what it is here. Even though uh, we're sitting at 105, that could be format related. That could be uh, that could be someone slipping uh, because of who other other owners selected. So I think that's an important point that uh, that again, you just you can't let folks off the hook there. And, and uh, so what about, I, I've got a, a couple things to close up the show, but what do you think about this, this, this topic of, again, contending windows and the rebuilding on the fly? We've talked about it a lot, but do you have any final points about the maintaining balance, always thinking about different cross-sections of your, of your team instead of, I'm dead red wind now and I really don't have any, any young offshoot players and eventually I'm just going to tear it down? Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to close with ABC always be contending. And there, I, I have found through my experience that it's not as difficult as it sounds. Incremental moves, staying in, in touch with your league, 
and taking advantage of situations. Like if there's a new owner that's taking over a team and that team was middle of the road, you know, they're going to have a trade bait, you know, they're going to be wanting to put their own stamp on it or three teams that just came out of a dispersal. They may have gotten who they want in the dispersal. They may have gotten them as trade bait in order to make more moves in order to really position themselves. Buying when the the assets are low, knowing when to sell your assets when they're the highest rookies, you know, rookie picks during the rookie draft is the best time to sell those, not a year in advance. Veterans in the middle of the season or when it gets close to playoffs or when they're hyped, you know, coming off of a camp, OTAs or a rookie camp or something where they're getting maximum hype and the trade calculator doesn't show hype. You've got to bake that in. You've got to know what exactly. the other. You've got to know what the other dynasty owners are listening to, whether it's uh, who's the sexy know, name ex- exactly. I mean, you exactly. got to know so, who who's the hot name right here, and it might not be who you think is most valuable. Two different things. Exactly. So, just that's it for closing. Just uh, be always have patience. Always be on the lookout for the good bargains. And just like stocks, you want to buy them low and sell them high. But that doesn't mean that you have to constantly be trading your team. Most of my contending teams, I built them through trades, but I make only one or two trades now. And it's when I want to, not just because somebody offers me something. It's like, oh, wow, that's a good deal for Devontae Adams. But it's really not a good deal for my team for where it is right now. And here's why, just like the Jerry Judy for Robert Woods. Um, I don't think Robert Woods is going to help me. And I want to keep that younger guy that I do believe will accelerate in the next couple of seasons. I want to keep him on the back part of my roster. Yeah. I think, I think knowing the time of the year is, is really important. You know, if someone takes over a team, you mentioned it in passing, I mean, they're probably going to be active in the trade market and more so than the dormant owner or vacant owner that w- that was there present uh, previously. So if, if they're going to be active, you got to get in there and say, what of there, you know, am I interested in? It's like a yard sale. And so you have to be active around that time, you know, positioning yourself during the rookie draft in season. If a team's falling out of it and you're contending, you know, be the vulture there. There's opportunities there in week five, week four, week seven. I mean, get in there and mix it up because there, there's assets that could go to your competition. Um, I found one, one team. It's a pretty good example of what we're discussing because basically my whole starting lineup is 25 to 30 years old at the different positions, but, and and you don't need, you know, I think people think you need like eight, 10, 15 big upside options that is sort of beyond your stable of starters or like what your lineup is going to look like in, in a lot of weeks or projected for week one, like my upside chances, the guys that are sort of simmering. And this is like my developmental area. It includes guys like, AJ Dillon from last year. I added Trey Sermon this year at running back, for example. And then at wide receiver, I have Brandon Ayuk that is not a projected starter for me. Uh, and we'll see how that goes. I have CD Lamb, you know, that I drafted a year ago. That's four players that, uh, again, that's enough, honestly. You know, kind of look at your first round or two, 
from the past couple of classes. It could be someone you acquire via trade, but it doesn't have to be half of your starting lineup and eight guys that have this level of pedigree or upside projection, you know, that, that is within their range of outcomes. And because if you get too many of those guys and yeah, some might turn into a, you know, a cam makers might turn into a massive breakout player and a difference maker this year, or Deandre Swift. What if he's running back two this year? Like those things are possible, but you also have to say I'm a contending team. And if that does not occur, I have to have other built around profiles for veterans that are going to get me through and blend the gap between the players that are hopefuls who may do great things versus the ones who have already been there, done that and done great things. And the bet on them to do it again is historically a higher probability one. Um, have one more question here, Katie, from a friend of the show, Julie, and this is startup related. So she's going into a new um, high stakes startup league and they want to do it in two different drafts. And this time of year, that's not super common. You, you typically see that with rookie picks in the draft, or maybe it's you know some combination of, of a draft order uh, that's already pre-selected. You typically see that more in February, March, and April. But she says the first one is not going to have rookies, so it's just going to be a veteran draft. And I don't like that, but I already said yes. Um, how would you approach doing one of those it's super flex so you're going to have quarterbacks like trevor lawrence if you want him as your quarterback not in the mix and that the draft order is going to be flipped for the rookie draft so what are some thoughts for julie here okay so i like the back half of the first because if it's flipped then you get the higher rookie pick and that's already in your mind you know pretty much where the adp of these rookies are going so you, you can factor that into some of the decisions when you're on the clock um, and also whether you trade back and how much. Anywhere from the 108 to the 112. That's what I would, if you have the choice. If Having you have, a top four or five type uh, rookie pick, right? Right. And, and to go with the value, I'm in, a, I'm in a startup right now at the 111 and I found very good trade back value as well as good value to stick and pick. Uh, every single time. So I like that back half of the first anywhere from eight through 12 because you're closer to a corner. There's great trade opportunities, but also players fall and you're in that range either because somebody now wants to move up to get that end of a tier type guy or you get the end of the tier type guy rather than I've got to stay and pick you know, the, the beginning of a tier. I'd rather pick towards the end of a tier than towards the beginning of a tier in most cases. And also it's Mahomes and how flat is the tiers beyond that, right? I mean, Mahomes yeah. at one and someone, you know, if you are selecting draft position, someone's going to take that last position in the rookie draft because they want Mahomes. But it's also like a built-in trade, right? I mean, 104 in the startup versus 111, but yet the difference in the rookie picks is going to be vast because especially... You know, she didn't say anything, but sometimes they do this where it's snake in the rookie draft, uh, you know, to kind of offset. But man, if you're getting like 103, 203, 303, that's a package of picks. And they're all basically little trade ups you're already getting by being later in the startup order. Um, so I would just point out the fact that non Mahomes, it's relatively flat. So being later in the first round, uh, getting that higher rookie pick um, built in. And then I wouldn't worry too much, you know, something she mentioned about how the rookies aren't in the mix and how, you know, building your team 
almost like a, a two-prong approach that a lot of times you select rookie picks in the startup draft and you're kind of doing the same thing. So, you know, the rookie pick should be best player, best asset available anyway. So you shouldn't really be thinking, okay, I'll pass on quarterback here because I'm going to draft Trevor Lawrence in my in my rookie draft, or I'm thinking quarterback because I have 104 in, in the rookie in the rookie draft. So I'll be lighter. Like I wouldn't really be looking at that too much. Get all the way to the rookie draft when you have those picks after the veterans. And basically take it for what you will, because you could be trading those picks uh, up, back, sideways, out, um, and, and selecting a variety of positions anyway. All right. Uh, big stocked show here. Talked about contending windows. We also closed with a little bit of startup draft talk. Uh, we even mentioned things like rookie drafts annually, Devi drafts, uh, bringing in a variety of formats that are going to lead to how to live. Uh, basically, I think the theme was how to live a balanced life. You know, that, that we do tons of Devi stuff. We get, we get geeky with Devi scouting, rookie scouting, and really it is the rage for a big cross section of the off season. But some of those fundamental pieces are the veteran profiles that you build up over time. You make very specific trades for it throughout the dynasty calendar and leveraging that in season or maybe around rookie draft time are some critical moments as a buyer to do that, to keep your contending team contending and then having that balance on your roster. It doesn't have to be 50-50 with roster spots, but having a tiered approach, and I've talked about that before, of cornerstone players, and then you have bridge players, upside players, and then you have the back end, which you're going to rotate freely with those roster spots for the waiver wire and just for anything you may need. And having a blend of all of those things is very important so that you have everything covered. And 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 the one thing I would say, uh, the final point here is don't get too locked onto those final roster spot players because you get to August through December, you're going to need them. You're going to want to use the waiver wire. You're going to want to pick up players that have changing landscape and changing situational value and potential uh, to help your team and also be flippable assets that you don't want to get too locked in to the players. And if you don't have any of those spots, it's trouble because you feel like you're just not a part of the waiver wire and that's not, not, that's not healthy either in, in all but maybe the deepest of deep formats out there. Uh, so you can hit Katie up on Twitter at FF underscore Skyler 399. I am at Chad Parsons NFL. You want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash UTH, get more exclusive content. Tim Torch is on there. We're doing a, a premium show every single week. There's a VIP chat and a lot of other bonus shows that I record kind of talking about projects as they're going through dynasty trades, etc. And then of course, get all the premium shows and UTH trade calculator, etc. at UTHdynasty.com by becoming a general manager plus subscriber until next time and next week never settle refuse to be average and keep building those dynasties i'll have an antsy in the pantsy metric <laughs>